Today we will be reading Colossians 3, verse 1 through 7. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are, of, that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where Christ, who is, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you, will also, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly to you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and let and be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through giving thanks to God the Father through him. I want to thank Harrison for reading our text today. Again, we're going to be looking at Colossians 1 or Colossians 3, 1 through 17 as we continue our study in the book of Colossians with part 6. I've entitled the lesson, Seek the Things That Are Above, because I believe this is the overall idea that Paul's wanting to get across in this set of verses. Before we move too far into the study this morning, I do want to do a quick review of what we've gone over up to this point. In part 1, we remember that Paul was in prison at this time, and he's told by a man named Epaphras of who was basically a cornerstone member at this church of some good things that were happening at this church. But not only that, he warns Paul of some, some potential hazards that are for that church at that time, things like false teachings and the influence of the society around them. Paul prays that they would grow in wisdom and knowledge, but not only that, that they would walk worthy. And what that means is that they would take the wisdom and knowledge and they would use it to live their lives and walk worthy of Christ. In part two, Paul gives a description of Jesus as the creator of all. He also speaks of the preeminence or the superiority over the world, Christ's superiority, superiority over the world, but also over the church. We, we also spoke of what we called the Colossian heresy, which was that influence of the society. This was a mixture of Greek, Hebrew, and pagan ideologies. One of the big things that they said was that Jesus could not be the creator and that Jesus was not God. 
In part three, Paul goes into a detailed explanation of his work and service for Jesus Christ, and he wants to explain why he does what he does. And it's because of his love for Christ, but also because of his love for the church. In part four, Paul goes on to inform the Colossians that Christ is the solution for false doctrine. He reminds them that they, when they gave themselves to Christ, when they obeyed the gospel, they died to their old man and that they were raised to serve Christ. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Also, through the sacrifice of Christ, he reminds them that they were forgiven and that that old law was nailed to the cross. And basically, that old law and the traditions of men were no match for the authority or the superiority of Christ. In part five, Paul encourages the Colossians not to allow man-made religion to disqualify them of their prize. These people were trying to bring back parts of the old law. They were trying to bring in ideas that they made up, but neither of these things were authorized by Christ. And I think that's where Paul begins this next section. As he begins, he, he comes to this idea that they need to focus on things above. It's all about where their focus is. And as he begins Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ. Again, this word if then is referring back to what he just talked about in chapter 2. This idea that through Christ, when they gave themselves to Christ, they became a new person. They were to be changed. Through their obedience to the gospel, because of, their forgive, because of the forgiveness of their sins, because they were no longer justified by the law, instead, they were justified through Christ, their life should be different. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. Because of this, because you've died, you need to be changed. At the end of this verse, at the end of verse 2, he says, don't focus on the things of the earth. He says, focus on things above, not on the things of the earth. And you think back to chapter 2, and we see that Paul placed an emphasis on the fact that many in society, and possibly even those in the church, were putting an emphasis on these works of men, these ideas of men. And he talks about, in chapter 2, these ideas like keeping the Sabbath or the feast days, these dietary restrictions from the old law, the idea of circumcision, these people were trying to bring these things from the old law, but we remember those things were nailed to the cross with Christ. But they're still trying to force them. They're still trying to say, this is how you can be religious, and that's not true. Not only that, they had these ideas that, that they made up, like this idea of asceticism or a severe self-denial. They talked about worshiping angels over Jesus Christ. And we go back to the idea where they were devaluing who Jesus Christ was saying he could not be creator, saying he could not be God. And what Paul is saying is, don't focus on these things. Instead, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. In chapter 2, Paul talked about this idea that through baptism, they made a decision to put off their sins, to again, change who they were, to have a faith in the operation of God. And that's what he talks about in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11, when he says, In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith and the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. 
He's saying you have been changed. You have gone through a spiritual circumcision. This is not physical. This is spiritual. This is the idea that the sin in your life was cut from your life when you made the decision to obey the gospel. You should be changed. You should be different. He goes on in verse 3 and he says, For you have died. Again, that word for, referring back to what he just said. We set our minds on things above. We change our focus because we have died. Because we died to that old man. We're no longer like that anymore. We've changed. In Romans chapter 6, we see Paul say, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who, are, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see, in Romans chapter 5, he's talking about this idea of the abundant grace of Jesus Christ. And apparently the idea had come along that just because that grace was there that we could just live however we want. We could sin, we could live in sin. But Paul says, by no means. Absolutely not. And this comes to that idea that when we think about works, we don't serve Christ to be saved. We serve Christ because we are saved. That's our motivation. That's our focus. It's all about our focus. As Paul goes on in verse 3, he says, And your life is hidden with Christ in God. So not only did you die to that old man, and you were raised to walk as a new man, he says you find security through Christ. You can be secure because your life is hidden with him. In Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, we see the statement by Paul that nothing or no one can condemn us while we are in Christ. We have security. We have safety when we are in Christ. We understand the blessings that are bestowed on us by being a Christian. We can have confidence in the understanding that through Christ, we can live eternally with him. We can be saved. Our sins are forgiven. And we see in Romans chapter 8, and verse 38, he says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says nothing can separate you. The spiritual, the physical, nothing can separate you from the love of God. But we have to be careful. Because we look back to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 18, where Paul talks about this idea of not allowing others to disqualify you of your prize. Don't allow anyone to disqualify you. Don't allow the earthly things to take you away. But you see, that's a decision we make. So while nobody could take that away from us, we can make the decision to walk away, and we've got to be careful about that. But if we're focused on Christ, and we're focused on the things above, we have security in that. We're safe in that. And that's a blessing. In verse 4, Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, I love that statement. What is our focus supposed to be? It's on things above. That means our first priority, everything we do, Christ 
is our life. He's everything to us. Do we live that way? He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you, will all, then you also will appear with him in glory. And this is referring to that second coming of Christ, where our bodies will be changed. If you look back at Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19, Paul talks about some who were enemies of the cross of Christ. You know why they were enemies of the cross of Christ? Because the, their God was their belly. Because their motivation, the reason they lived their life, was based on the earthly, worldly things. But Paul shows a, a, a stark comparison with those who were in Christ. And in verse 20, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven. That word citizenship means that they were, they're ruled. When we are in Christ, we're ruled, we're governed by a different set of laws. We're different. We're, we should be different. He goes on to say, and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even, him even to subject all things to himself. We should long for that. <laughs> That's what we should desire, is that change. That's our focus. And that desire should, should motivate us to change who we are, to be different, to make better decisions. Because that's, that's what comes when we understand the security that comes through Christ, that we can live with him forever. And no longer do we have to worry about this frail, disease-ridden body because we have something better promised to us. We have an incorruptible body waiting for us. We have an immortal body waiting for us. And that's our focus. And as Paul moves on from this idea, he doesn't move on, but continues this idea of, of our focus and where it should be. He talks about putting to death our worldly selves. In Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, he says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. So those worldly things, those earthly things, when we died and we changed because Christ, through Christ and his word, we are changed, we are to put to death those earthly things. And he goes on with this idea and he tells certain sins. He, he gives this list of sins and he says sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetous, covetousness, which is idolatry. He says put those things to death. And when we look at these, I kind of consider, when, when you look at what he's talking about, these kind of seem like they're big sins. Those sins that really they had a hard time with probably when they became new Christians, they struggled with them. Things like sexual immorality, which is sexual sin of any kind, married or unmarried. The idea of impurity, which is moral filthiness, especially in relation to sexual sin. Passion, which is lust, sexual passion, ungovernable desire. Evil desire, a yearning for wicked, perversion of goodness, covetousness, which is greediness of, of earthly things, where we put that in front of God. But Paul says, and what it seems like to me is that they've done a pretty good job here. In verse 7, he says, In these you two once walked, and you were when you were living in them. Do you notice the tense of that? It's past tense. He says, you once had an issue with those sins. 
And I think it was because they were motivated by the wrath of God. He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Because of these sins, the wrath of God is coming. But you've done a pretty good job. You've put these away. But it seemed like they had just injured the old man instead of actually putting him to death. They just injured him. They got rid of the big stuff, but he goes on and he says, but now you must put them all away. You've done a good job, but there's still more work to do. And he goes through another list. He says, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. I think of these sins. You know, they've, again, they've done a good job. They put these away, but they just injured the old man. It's time to put to death the old man. It's time to truly change. And you think about these, I think about these in my life as sins that sometimes I like to justify. I like to say, you know, they deserved it. Or I had every right to react that way. I think of anger, which is a strong displeasure and hostility, a chronic anger. You know, if you've had kids for any amount of time, you can, you can understand that they can test your patience. And if you let yourself, you'll react in anger. And you'll react in anger more often and more often until it's something that's happening all the time. And you say, they should have listened to me the first time. Well, they're kids, right? I've told them a hundred times to go put their stuff up. Get in your room. And I react in anger. But I make that excuse and I say, they know better. I know better, right? I know better how I should react. They're kids. They're learning. They're, they're growing up. I should be better. What about wrath? And I'm going to tell you, and I've told you this from the pulpit over and over, that in the past, I've had a problem with being angry while driving. It's an issue that I've dealt with for, since I was 16, probably 15 years old, getting my learner's permit. I, I, do, I don't like people when they don't do what I think they should do on the road. It bothers me. It makes me mad. And in the past, I've waved my arms, I've laid on the horn, I've done everything I can do to make sure that they know what they did was not right. Well, wrath is that anger boiling to rage, isn't it? I've also told you that my biggest fear, and something that's motivated me to really work on this, is that I will be driving to church, and somebody cuts me off, and I go through the whole process and then I have to open the door for them. I can't think of a more awkward situation than that. But I make excuses and I say, they know better. They know how to drive or they should. Is that an excuse for me? It shouldn't be. What about malice, evil, wickedness, depravity, desire to injure? What about slander, which is malicious talk, evil speaking, hurtful, injurious speech? You know what's sad about this one? is probably how much this takes place inside the church with the people who we're supposed to love the most. What about obscene talk? This idea of filthy language, vulgar speech. I heard a good joke, you know. It doesn't matter that it's inappropriate. It doesn't matter that there's a cuss word or two in it. I want people to think I'm funny. So I'm going to say it. 
God won't care. Is that true? What about lying, deception, dishonesty? I'm going to tell this lie because I want to protect that person. You see, we, we have these sins. Yeah, we're pretty good about getting rid of these that, we, that are easily seen in us, that we have a hard time making an excuse for, but these over here that are a little easier to make an excuse for and a little easier to justify, we like to keep those around, don't we? But what Paul says is those need to go. It's time to not just injure the old man, it's time to put him to death, to truly change who you are. And in verse nine, he goes on and he says, seeing that you have put, on, put off the old self with its practices, so again, putting off those sin, getting rid of that sin in our lives, and focusing on the things above, he says, we put on the new man. He says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, or circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. He says the new man needs to be renewed in knowledge. And we think about that, and that's very important. The Word of God, if we allow it, will continue to change who we are. The more we learn, the more we apply the Word of God, the more it changes us, the more Christ-like we're going to be. And that's the goal. Not only that, he says that, it, that there's no distinction between race or social status. He says it doesn't matter if you're a Hebrew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're a slave. It doesn't matter if you're a free. The only thing that matters is Christ in you. That's all that matters. Nothing else. And what a wonderful thought that is. That I don't have to worry about my family. I don't have to worry about how much I make a year at my job. I don't have to worry about who I am on this world because what matters is who I am spiritually. And that's having Christ in me. So he, he continues on from this idea of putting our worldly selves to death and, and putting on that new self. And we see him begin that in verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3. He says, put on then, because you've died, because you've taken those things out, because you're a new person, he says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And I want to stop here for just a second. When we think about what he just says here, he says, because you are God's chosen people, through your obedience to him, you are God's chosen people because you made the decision to trust in him, to put your faith in him, and you have Christ in you. You're, you're chosen of God. Not only that, he calls them holy, which means they're separated unto God in Christ. But the next one hits me real hard. He says, beloved. We're beloved. What that is is a term of endearment that shows Christ's love for us. He loves us. Have you thought about that today? It's something we need to think about often, that he loves us. And Paul wants them to understand that, that they're different, that they're changed. 
And he goes on and he talks about some characteristics that they need to have in their lives because they are changed. Things that kind of fill the void of the earthly things. And he says, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So Paul talks about this idea of the change in who we are and how, how we need to replace those things. And one thing he says is that we need to have compassionate hearts. That's showing sympathy or concern for others. Others in the church and others in the world. That's motivation, isn't it? To go out and let them know about Christ. This idea of kindness, which is moral goodness, integrity. This idea of humility, not thinking of ourselves too highly. Knowing our place. This idea of meekness, gentleness, being considerate. And meekness is one that, that gets me. I was listening to an interview. I was flipping through the channels, and I stopped on this, this interview of this singer. And she was talking about how she broke into the music industry. She was talking about the fact that you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to be confident. But you've also got to be humble, which is good. But she said, and I'm not saying you need to be meek. We look at meekness in our society as a weakness. But what Paul's saying here is it's a requirement. It's something we have to have. Who are we going to listen to, society? Or are we going to listen to God? Not only that, he says bearing with one another, having patience with each other. And then he says forgiving, forgiving each other, having forgiveness. But he gives us the definition of this one. He says, as Christ forgave us. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about the forgiveness that you've received in your life through Jesus Christ? I need a lot of forgiveness in my life. A lot. I've got a long way to go in my forgiveness. <laughs> I've got work to do. I was talking to a brother, and I'm not going to say names, but he was talking to another brother, and I'm not going to try to confuse you with that. So this other brother, who we'll refer to, he was having some issues with somebody. And he said, I just, he was talking to him, he said, I just don't know how I can forgive him. And our brother says, he looked at him and said, how did Christ forgive you? Or something to that extent. And he said, that, that, that really struck the guy. And it should we have a hard time forgiving these petty things in our lives, and yet we expect the forgiveness of Christ. Well, Paul is saying that our forgiveness needs to be just like the forgiveness of Christ. It needs to be total. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 14, and he says, And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul states that the most important characteristic is love, and it's not just any love. If you look at that word, that's an agape love. And agape love is a sacrificial love, like the love that Christ had for man. And that's a big one, isn't it? That's huge. Think about what Christ did for us. We talk about that forgiveness. You know how we were forgiving or forgiven? It's because Christ was willing, after living a perfect life, to take our sins on his shoulders and die on the cross for us. That's love. Is that the kind of love we have for others? Do we have a sacrificial love? 
Are we willing to sacrifice our time to go teach others about Christ? Are we willing to sacrifice our time and what we want to do to go help somebody that's in need? What kind of love do we have? Because when we have a sacrificial love, when we have this type of love, it makes everything work. He says it binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's the kind of love we need. That's a characteristic that we need to have. And he doesn't stop there. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 20, Christ is called the God of peace. And when Christ rules in us, it should result in a peace in our lives. And that goes back to that idea of having security in him. Because everything in my life could go wrong. I could suffer and suffer and suffer, but I know I'm secure in Christ. So the bills don't matter as much. So my job and what's going wrong there doesn't matter as much. Any issue I'm having doesn't matter as much. Those worldly issues are not as important as they once were because my focus has changed and I'm a different person. And that's a blessing. And as Paul closes out this verse, he says, and be thankful. Have thankfulness in our hearts. And we see this theme over and over with Paul and other writers. This idea of understanding the blessings that come through Jesus Christ and being thankful for those. Are we thankful every single day of our lives for what Christ did for us? It's all about a change in our focus and what we're focusing on. As Paul starts verse 16 and starts to close this thought, in those first 15 verses, he's talked about that old man. He's talked about our focus changing and that old man putting him to death and changing who we are. And now he moves into this idea of the disposition that we have as a Christian. How it changes truly who we are. In verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He brings this idea of allowing the word of Christ to dwell inside of us. And then he uses this word richly. And what that means is abundantly. It means generously. So to us, that should mean that coming to church once a week or once a year to hear the word is not enough. Once a month is not enough. Once a week is not enough. Three times a week is not enough. It means that every day of our lives, we are in the word of God, and we're not only reading it, we're digesting it. We're digging deep into it. We're wanting to know more and more about the love of Christ and his word. And when we allow that to happen, a change takes place. A change in who we are takes place. He goes on and he says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The word teaching is just to provide information in a manner intended to produce understanding. Admonition is to warn and instruct. When we let the word of God dwell in us, it it changes us. But it also allows us to help others to change through the word. By going out and teaching the word to them. By warning them. Of the consequences of not living a life focused on Christ. 
Not only that, he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. When the word of Christ dwells in us richly, again, there's a total change. We're so in love with Christ that our disposition is one where we want to sing his praise. We want to to sing his praise. We want to tell others about Christ. You know, this isn't just something that happens in in the worship service. This is something that is in our life completely. It's a change in who we are so that no matter where we are, we're talking about God. We're thinking about God. We're thinking about Christ. We're singing songs of praise to him. And I thank Jason for leading that song, How Can I Keep From Singing? Because I think that's the message. I love Christ so much that he's changed who I am. And because of that, I sing his praise. Because of that, I teach his word. Because of that, I focus on him and I live for him. And that's the change that's expected. And he goes on in verse 17 and he says, And whatever you do in word or deed... Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything we do is changed. Our conversations change. Our relationships change. Everything changes for the better because we're no longer led by ourselves, by our our selfishness. We're no longer led by the worldly things. Because we didn't just injure him, we put him to death. And we've changed, we're different. And we're led by Christ, and our focus is on Christ. And what a blessing that is, that true change that comes through him and his word. Now I think about our focus and where it should be. I want us to consider for just a second the focus of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 13 and verse 1, he says, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. There's no question. Christ was not focused on himself. His focus was not on what he was about to go through the pain that he was about to endure. The time was, was coming. It says his focus was on those who were in the world. His love for us was one that lasted to the end and it continues today. And because of his focus on us, because of his willingness to die for us, we should be willing to allow the word of God to change who we are, to change the way we live. And if you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel, I pray that you make that change. I pray that you allow the word of God into your life to let it dwell in you richly and change who you are and obey the gospel and be baptized to become a part of the body that Paul talks about. Or maybe you're here and you're struggling. Maybe you just have something going on in your life. We talked about that love that we should have as a changed person. Our hope is that that love in us 
will allow us to love you and help you through your tough time. And we can pray for you, we can pray with you. If you need help of the church, come to the front as we stand and sing.